We are about to start a new book. Uh, always exciting time because um, the Lord always seems to show us so many new things when we study together and we uh, cover new ground together. So I'm really looking forward to this journey through Paul's letters to Timothy. We're going to start obviously with First Timothy and this morning we'll uh, do a bit of background to set us up for this study. Apparently, um, some years ago in London, uh, there was an advert placed in uh, one of the newspapers, and it said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Apparently, there was a lot of response um, to this strange advert because it was by the noted Arctic explorer, uh, Ernest Shackleton. Uh, And that made all the difference. People wanted to take this challenge. They were willing to jump in with the the danger that might be there because of the reputation that Ernest Shackleton had and the the things he discovered and the the journeys he'd previously been on. Uh, And it's been suggested that a similar advert could be placed for the church and if so it would be something along these lines Uh, men and women wanted the difficult task of building my church you'll often be misunderstood even by those working with you you will face constant attack from an invisible enemy you may not see the results of your labor and your full reward will not come until after all your work is completed it may cost you your home your ambitions even your life and again What will be the response? Well, when you realize that it's Jesus that is calling, that changes everything. You know, that's the reason those disciples followed after Jesus. You know, to drop their fishing nets by the side of the shores of Galilee, to walk away from a profession of being a tax collector and the other things the disciples did, and to follow after an individual would just seem crazy. But it was Jesus that called. And that's why they were willing to go. They were willing to go because they were following after somebody who was so different than your average rabbi, average teacher. Because Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was the one who had been prophesied and promised from the ages past. And there he was in front of them, presenting them with this opportunity of following him, even though it might cost them their life. And, of course, that went on not just with the disciples, but then as the early church grew, and after the resurrection, what a privilege it was for people to become Christians, to follow after Christ. I guess it had a different feeling than maybe it does for people today, in some senses. Maybe there was just a little bit more reality to it all. Well, this is, in a sense, the story of Timothy. And we're going to look through this morning, um, starting um, with, say, 1 Timothy, and we'll we'll cover just a a little bit of ground there. Uh, This falls into a a bracket known as the pastoral epistles, um, which is typically 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus of Philemon. Just to kind of give you this breakdown, we've got the Gospels and Acts, those first five books that start the New Testament. Um, you then got what's considered the major doctrinal epistles all the way from Romans through to Hebrews uh, that we have typically Paul's writings. Uh, 
Uh, we've got the seven churches that were written to, um, that uh, Paul wrote to, uh, which interestingly map the seven parables in Matthew 13, and also uh, the seven letters that Jesus writes to. There's a little correlation between all of those, uh, intentionally so. Uh, John was talking a little bit about the design in Scripture. We see it everywhere. Um, we've got the, the prison epistles, as they're referred to, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, that Paul wrote from prison. Um, and then we've got these pastoral um, epistles, these letters uh, that Paul writes. So these are the, the, the things we're going to be looking at. Um, let's, before we jump in, let's bow our hearts and just commit, not just this morning, but this whole study to the Lord, that he would speak to us uh, in a very powerful way. <coughs> and well, Heavenly Father, this morning we ask that you lead us and you guide us through this journey, that you speak to us very clearly uh, Lord, that you edify, you encourage us as we study your word. And that, Father, you cause us to grow in knowledge and in grace. Father, help us to, Lord, like Timothy, understand the, the challenges that are before us, but look to you for the strength that we need. Lord, as Paul reminded Timothy, he needed to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, for each one of us, given the trials and the challenges that lay before us and, Lord, things that we've already shared and spoken and prayed about this morning. Uh, Lord, this world is not easy. And, Father, sometimes there are challenges with health. There's challenges with those that won't believe and refuse to listen to the gospel. There's challenges from this government, <clears throat> Lord, this worldly system that we are part of and, Lord, under the authority of Lord, all these things. And of course then there is the, the world, the flesh, the devil, uh, Lord, and we are called to serve you in the midst of these things. And yet, Lord, as we've said already, the, though the calling may not be glamorous, Lord, we willingly follow because it's you who call. And Lord, as we've said already, and Lord, as Kat shared with us, Lord, the idea of that following after the plow, or, or plowing rather, and, and looking to the distance to, to keep that line straight, Lord, as we lift our heads and look to you, Oh, Lord, help us to do that, Lord, through the, the challenges, through the difficulties. And so, Father, we do commit this morning to you this time of study, and we also pray as we go through this journey, Lord, that you just speak to us and cause us to grow, uh, Lord, as we said, in knowledge and grace, but also in love for each other and for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a sense, one of the, the themes that come through the letters that Paul writes to Timothy was that it's too soon to quit. Don't give up yet. And what a great message for this morning for us. You know, given the things that we've already shared, the challenges that we're facing in different ways, you know, that message is equally applicable to us this morning. It's too soon to quit. Don't give up yet. Timothy became a pastor, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about Ephesus as we go through an incredible town, uh, city uh, in the Roman Empire, so much idolatry, so much paganism, so many other things there. And Paul is encouraging this young pastor to not throw the towel in. You know, it's challenging uh, in all sorts of areas of ministry, but particularly from the pastoral perspective, uh, it's incredible. If you look at the stats, how many ministers uh, quit, give up, um, and don't carry on uh, in that pastoral role because of the pressures. 
there's a number of uh, good books I've got and read on um, being a pastor and, and the responsibilities that go along with that. Um, and one of the, the, the recurring themes, and it's something that Spurgeon himself said many times, you know, if you can find anything else to do, do it. Being a pastor is one of those things that you only do if you have to. Um, and it is, of course, a privilege. There's a great blessing that comes um, from the pastoral ministry, but at the same time, there's a heavy burden. Uh, and that's why congregations, and we'll look at these things as we go through, need to pray uh, for their pastors. I need you to pray for me. Uh, and that we work together, we grow together. But having said that, talking about these books and saying they're pastoral epistles, that doesn't mean that the things that we're going to look at here are just for pastors. One of the things that we come up against, we, we find in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3.16, a verse I'm sure we're very familiar with, we're told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I mean, this, everything that we read is there, and it's for you, for me. It, it's not that this bit is for those people, and for that bit is for these people, and if you have that particular ministry, that's the book you need. All Scripture, all of it, is there for us. And this is personal. So for you, the lessons that will come out of this uh, will be many, as, as Paul addresses a whole range of different issues and topics and so on. Uh, and Scripture is given, note, by inspiration of God. Um, the, the Greek word, theopneustos, uh, literally means it's the breath of God. This is straight out of God's heart for us. And God has breathed Scripture of course, God used men and women through the ages um, and spoke through them. And we have this record that has been recorded for us. Um, and of course, you know, even in the world, if we want to make something official, we'll put it in writing. Um, you know, there's something important about a written document. Even in this day and age of emails and everything else being electronic, a written, you know, something arrives in the post and it still has some gravitas, doesn't it? Um, well, God has given us this record written down for us, given to us by the breath of God himself. And notice what we're told, that it's profitable for these things, for doctrine, which really is understanding what is right, for reproof, which is understanding what is not right, for correction, which is how to get right, and for instruction, which is how to stay right. So all these things we find from Scripture to guide our course. Uh, and so this is a great um, study to be going into um, to help us in our journey through life and the challenges and so on that we'll, we'll face. Now Paul's going to give instruction for the local church that you and I together, we need to understand. We need to know these things. Uh, we're going to look at the role of the pastor, of elders, of deacons, the differences. We'll look at the responsibility of the congregation in those ministries and so on. And obviously for all of those who are in ministry. Chuck Missler, when he used to speak, um, would say to people, hands up for those who are in full-time ministry. And typically one or two people would put their hands up. And then he'd say, let me ask you another question. Put your hands up if you're saved. And the number of people in the, the room, the hands will go up. He said, let me ask you the first question again. How many of you are in full-time ministry? You see, being in full-time ministry is not about where your money comes from to pay the bills. If you are saved, you are in full-time ministry. You're serving the Lord 24-7 because you don't take time off once you've been called. And we need to keep that mindset. You know, 
Chuck Smith used to talk about a missionary who's on his passport, uh, he actually said um, that he was a dentist um, because he had a, uh, a, he'd been trained as a dentist. Uh, and during the day, he used to go and do a lot of dental work. And that was where he kind of made his money and so on. Uh, and he had another individual who knew, uh, who his passport in, in America um, said that he was a dentist. But he used to use all his time throughout the day with his uh, patients and, and so on, just talking about the Lord. And the, Chuck, the comment that Chuck Smith made was that, that one of them, passport said he was a missionary, he was really a dentist. And one of them, the passport said he was a dentist and really he was a missionary. You know, and each of us, whatever the situation, whatever we do in our daily lives, we are full time in service to the King of Kings. We don't get time off. You know, and even when we spend time together as friends, as we spend time uh, in each other's company, we're still there to minister to each other. I had a, a friend some years ago in Deal, and we used to go and play uh, snooker together um, once a week. Um, but even that was a time of ministry, because we'd be talking about Scripture, we'd be talking about the Lord. You know, it wasn't that you know we were going to do something that was secular, so therefore you know God wasn't involved. No, God was still very much involved. And in their own way, those, those kind of evenings when we were playing snooker together became little mini Bible studies. Although we didn't have the Bible out as we were playing, we were talking about Scripture the whole time and, and just challenging each other on the things of God. Yeah, and for, we never take time off. I mean, Paul says that we should pray without ceasing. You know, and Oswald Chambers makes comments that some of us go from worship to waiting to work, and we divide and compartmentalize our lives up into these various areas. And he says, but really, it's all one. It's all just the life that we live, and all of those things are involved. And we can, in a split second, be praying, or we could be worshiping, and then we could be ministering to somebody, and then we could be about our business, our day job. But it's all part of our lives, and we shouldn't try and separate these things out. One of the things we're going to see as we go through this study as well is our attitude to authority. And, and, you know, it's a real challenge today because there's a lot of people who are very vocal uh, and very um, anti the government and so on and uh, would look to pull down the the leaders wherever they can, uh, and particularly our media. I mean, really, it's quite dreadful and quite shameful um, how they continually criticize and uh, condemn and just seek to almost destroy people. Now, yes, those in authority need to be held accountable. But Paul is going to say to Timothy how we should treat those uh, that are in authority. And, and what you need to understand is that the time that Paul writes this, the Roman Empire was the authority. It was the Roman Empire that was the government of the day. You know, so it's really understanding that, you know, Paul really did understand the things that he was writing about. One of the things we'll look at is our personal attitude to doctrine and its importance. You know, doctrine is something that's mentioned frequently through the New Testament. Uh, I think you'll find seven times Paul actually mentions it uh, in this first letter to Timothy. Uh, and yet, sadly, doctrine is something that is uh, rather missed out by many churches today. Uh, a lot of other things get talked about, but not doctrine. And we need to understand why truth matters. Paul's also going to bring a challenge 
um, to persevere in the midst of trial. And that's going to be something that's going to be very personal to Timothy. You know, already as I've been studying, it's become very personal to me, even in this past week, getting ready for this. And I'm sure it's going to become very personal to you because we all go through different challenges and different trials. And the challenge is there to persevere, to keep going. Again, it's too soon to quit. We've got to carry on in this. Just one other little uh, story to to share. I remember um, Bill Gallatin, one of the Calvary Chapel pastors uh, in America, great teacher, lovely man of God, Quite an elderly man now, but um, for many years served. His um, church has been passed over. His son now is the pastor uh, at um, the church uh, Finger Lakes in uh, America, um, where they, they he ministered. But he was at Costa Mesa with Chuck Misler in, in the early days, and it got to the stage of him feeling really that the Lord was calling him out to to go and pastor somewhere and to plant a church. And so they prayed and they agreed, and he was on staff at uh, Costa Mesa, uh, and so. He, he set out, uh, left um, with his wife, and then went to this new place where they were going to go and start. And then after two years, he got back in touch with Chuck and said, it, it's not going very well. Uh, you know, we want to come back. And Chuck just turned around and said, well, I'm sorry, we have no job for you anymore. You know, just, you have to stay there. And, and he thought that at the time that was really harsh and, you know, that was, you know, it wasn't the kind of support he was looking for. But in hindsight, he realized it was the right thing. And, and that early challenge laid so much of the foundation that later became the things he had learned from that, that led to be, becoming a really successful and blessed fellowship for the Lord. So, you know, sometimes we go through experiences that we don't enjoy. But again, the Lord is using those things. <clears throat> you know, and we need to remember what we've been called into. You know, we've not been called into a celebrity lifestyle. We've been called to follow after Jesus. Yeah, and, and Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was killed because of his obedience to his father. Yeah, and we need to get the context. You know, we're not, as I say, entering into something that's going to put our name in lights and give us this wonderful, lavish lifestyle and full of blessings and private jets and white suits. Yes, I know we see some of those people on Christian TV, but that's far removed from Scripture. No, no, we've been called to follow after Jesus Christ, to, to share in those sufferings. and It's a blessing. You know, we've sung this morning, when we get to heaven, it's going to make sense. We'll see, we'll understand. You know, and Paul's going to remind us of the grace and mercy that, that enable us to stand. You know, we see it in the, the opening um, few verses. In fact, just look at verse 2. We're going to come to the scriptures in a while. But we have grace, mercy, and peace. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace. You know, grace, as we've said so many times, and I'm sure you've heard many times, is God giving you what you don't deserve. It's blessing you beyond measure in in, in a way that you could never have earned. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Not giving you the, the judgment, not putting upon you his wrath. Grace, mercy, and because of those two, we can have peace. And, and again, the the mercy, remembering, we were singing that song this morning, you know, uh, so thankful. 
being mindful of the mercy, mindful of what we've been forgiven, thanking God for that. But it's relying on that grace. It's always looking forward. It's not looking to the past. Those things are behind us now. We're, we're moving forward. And we need to be relying on that grace. And the love that sustains and drives us. That's, that's us as in a congregation and as individuals. Because it's one of the things that's going to come out in this first chapter and we're not probably going to get there this morning. Um, so don't worry, I'm not intending on to, you know, covering the whole chapter. Um, but it's very clear that the foundation of this ministry that, that Timothy has, that Paul is encouraging him in, is love. You know, we can't do any of these things unless we have a love for each other. He, he's going to talk about others. Uh, he talks about verse 7, uh, you can see there. He speaks of these people who desire to be teachers of the law, but goes on really to hit the nail on the head and say, there's no love there. They don't know what they're saying. They're not aware of the the foundation. Because verse 5, we've already been given, the end of the commandment is love. Okay, King James translates it charity. That's not a particularly good translation of it. It should be love. I'm fall over from the um, Vulgate translation, unfortunately. Um, but the end of the commandment is love. And actually, if we don't have love, we can have all the doctrine right. We can have all the other bits and pieces right. We can understand everything, but without love. I mean, First Corinthians 13, Paul nails it, doesn't he? makes it so clear to us that love is the key. Because we can't serve each other. I can't serve you just by getting all the the details right. There has to be love. It doesn't work otherwise. You know, in a family environment, unless there's love, your plan and your order and your design of how your family life is going to run won't go very far. There has to be love. There has to be something that behind all of the challenges and the difficulties and the problems and the stressful moments keeps you going. And it's love. And it's the same with a, a church. And that love is that love, not that, that we generate ourselves. It's a love that is placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's not something that we manufacture. It's something we go to God for individually. And he gives us that love. And then we give that love out to others. Yeah, and we are, I think, really blessed here in this congregation. There is a lot of love, a lot of care for each other. And that's exactly what a church should be like. Bearing each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, it's interesting how many times in the New Testament the whole idea comes up of love being the foundation of the law. To love one another. You know, Jesus spoke often about the love that we should have. I mean, you can read First John and so often uh, in that, uh, that epistle, John speaks about the love. It's not a, not a new commandment. It's, it's that which has been there right from the start. And it doesn't change. So in all of these things, there's a lot of lessons that we're going to learn. But it's not just about getting the details correct, understanding how everything fits together. Those things are important, very important. But it's love that makes everything fit together. So in this first epistle, 
Again, it's really addressed to the local church and its pastor. And we're going to see this charge, okay? Uh, it's really uh, guard the deposit. That's a great way of putting it. That's a phrase I, I got from, from Chuck Nisler. Um, but you see in the opening um, statement, the opening uh, verse, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. Okay? Uh, and then we see a little bit uh, uh, later on, uh, where in verse 3, uh, as uh, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I was um, went into Macedonia, that thou mayest charge some. And there's this idea of, of charging a command is a military term. And Paul will use this kind of expression, this kind of language quite a bit through the book. Um, but it, it's more than just a request. It, it's something that is um, given by somebody in a senior position to a subordinate it's, a, it's an instruction that must be followed. And really what we're seeing here in this first chapter is Paul saying to Timothy, look after what you've been entrusted with. And once again, that same thing applies to each of us because every one of us has been entrusted with things. Some of you don't yet know what they are. Some of you this morning might not know what God has entrusted to you. You might not be aware of the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you that he will use to bless this congregation or to bless other people elsewhere. But each one of us, God has given gifts and abilities to. Not for our glory. Not that we can say that we have some superpower. It's so that God takes the glory but so that we work together within the body of Christ. Everybody within a fellowship has a role to play. Everybody. Nobody sits on the sidelines. Nobody sits and watches. That doesn't mean we all do the same things. But it means that we're all involved. And you know, there's a lovely thing about that teamwork uh, idea when you're all involved in something together. We're all working for the same goal. And of course, the goal for us is the upward call of Jesus, but at the same time, to see as many people saved as we possibly can, and at the same time, to grow in knowledge and grace, to learn about God's Word, and this incredible multi-layered depth of these lessons and the things that God wants to reveal to us. In the second and third chapters, Paul's going to go on and look at the assembly, the congregation, and its conduct. To start with, we'll look at concerning order within a church meeting. And when we come together, we'll be speaking about men and public prayer. We're speaking about uh, women and their public attitude uh, when they're together in church meetings. And so we'll cover those things as Paul gives them to us. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the various offices that exist that are God-ordained within a church. Uh, we'll talk about qualification for elders and the qualification of deacons, and what's the difference between those two scripturally. And then in chapter 4 through 6, we're going to move on to looking at the pastor and his conduct. And it's good that you know these things, because you need to keep me accountable. I'm accountable to you. You know, it's been said a number of times by, by pastors and people that have looked at the role of pastor in Scripture, that the congregation are not there to serve the pastor. The pastor's there to serve the congregation. 
The congregation aren't there so that the pastor can say, oh, we have this wonderful church. We do have a wonderful church. But it's the other way around, that the pastor is there to serve the congregation. And so I'm accountable to you. And you need to know what's expected of me scripturally so that you can keep me accountable to you. And so we'll look at the, the assembly in general and then particular groups again as Paul breaks it down. Just to give us a quick heads up on the second epistle, which we'll get to uh, as and when, uh, Lord willing. Um, we look, first of all, at uh, the true pastor under testings. Of course, Timothy is the, the case study here. Um, and we're going to look at the true personal reaction and the true pastoral reaction to the testings and the challenges that Timothy was facing. <clears throat> and it's just, again, Timothy was under no illusion. We'll talk about it in a moment if, if we get there. Um, but Timothy's first impression of Christianity he he read scripture. He knew scripture. He knew the Torah. He knew the the Tanakh, the Old Testament. But when he sees Paul arrive in Lystra, and Paul starts to preach about Jesus Christ as being the fulfilment of the law, Timothy's clearly enamoured because from that point, Timothy puts his faith and trust in Jesus. And Paul, at that point, is dragged outside the city, stoned, and dumped on a rubbish heap, effectively left for dead. Some people think Paul did die. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. So, Paul's, so, so, so Timothy's first impression of Christianity is seeing this individual that he may have heard about. There may have been comments and, and stories about this persecutor of the church. He'd become a Christian. was coming to town. Paul arrives and preaches. Timothy hears his teaching, is so impressed. But then he sees Paul taken out and effectively killed before him. But then, Paul stands up. He gets up from the rubble and from all these stones. Some think that he was literally brought back to life again. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The impression was clearly amongst those that have been there that he was dead. So whether he actually died or not is kind of irrelevant. But he gets up again. And what does he do? Straight back into town again and carry on preaching. What a, a, a kind of first impression of Christianity. That's where Timothy starts his journey. And it's some years later that Paul comes back, that Timothy's been reading and learning and growing, and Paul says, I want you to come with me. Come on this journey with me. And they start to go off in ministry together. So we'll look at these kind of things that come out of that, and again, building on the, the challenges that Timothy was facing, um, but also looking at the true past and the end times troubles that are coming. Again, the personal reaction and the pastoral reaction to those. You know, in the, the first letter, as I said already, there's this charge, uh, and the second is a challenge. The first letter is, remember what you've been given, make sure you deliver on what you've been called to do. And the second one, there's a challenge, but it's a challenge to fortitude and to faithfulness under both present testings and in the things that are to come. And we'll see the prophetic elements that apply to us. Of course, in the modern church, we've got an issue because so often the gospel is removed. There is no doctrine 
and the call to obedience and accountability is seldom seen. So Timothy is a great antidote to those kind of problems that exist, sadly, in today's church. Now, just to <clears throat> break this down a little bit more, in the First Timothy, to start with in chapter 1, we get the faith of the church, doctrine, then the order of the church, the officers of the church, then a warning of the apostasy that's coming, and then the duties of the officers. Second Timothy, again, the afflictions of the church, the activity of the church, and the allegiance of the church. You know, one of the things that will become clear as we go through this is that the Holy Spirit was working and moving in a very powerful way. It's been said, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that if you took the Holy Spirit out of the early church, 95% of what they were doing would have immediately come to a screeching halt. But today, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the church, 95% of the things that are being done would carry on just the same. And that may be an exaggeration, maybe not. But it illustrates the point that so much of what he's done today is not done through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's done through great programs, great plans, great intentions. But it's not of God always. And of course, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor's in vain. So we're going to go through those things. The other thing to mention is the warnings that we see. Um, in chapter 1, verse 6, this one that some have turned aside. Now, we need to be mindful of this because we've already seen it within this fellowship. And certainly in the time that I've been here as pastor, not everybody's been on the same page. I think as we are as a congregation here this morning, praise God, I think we are. But we've had issues over the past. And this was something that Paul was warning Timothy, and it's something that all churches will face at some point or another, certainly if they're sticking to Scripture, uh, and some have made shipwreck of their own faith and also that of others. Well, sadly, we've seen that too. Told that some shall fall away. And that's so sad when it happens. Sometimes we're talking about people falling away for a time. Sometimes people just walk away for good and we never see them again. They walk away from God. God knows their hearts. God knows whether they were ever genuinely saved in the first place. It's not our place to call that one. These are the things that Paul was facing Timothy with, things that as a young man he was going to have to tackle and, and deal with. And Timothy thrown into a situation where many of the people there at the church in Ephesus would have been older than he. Possibly some without a greater understanding of the law than he did. But he was called to deal with these situations and to speak the truth in love. We find that some have turned after Satan. Some have been led astray. These are all the things that we're going to see coming out. Some have missed the mark. Our challenge, of course, therefore, is finishing well. Because somehow there's this idea that we would never get deceived. And I say that we, but I'm talking about individuals and, of course, as a fellowship. 
But as individuals, we've got that mindset that, you know, well, I wouldn't be deceived. Other people could be deceived, but I, I would never be deceived. Well, that's a deception. Because we can all be deceived, every single one of us. Satan is so subtle. And the things that get brought into the church from the world, from these different emerging ideas and so on. Even we have to be so careful, even through worship. Because there's some great godly men and women that write songs and that we sing and they're a real blessing to us. But we have to be careful because sometimes some of those things can be very much a, a performance, um, an emotional thing that draw us in. And we could end up chasing after things that are not of the Spirit of God. So we need to be very careful in all sorts of areas and never ever become so complacent that you think you could never be deceived. Our only safeguard is the Word of God. And so all of us need to be aware that we need to be focusing on finishing well. It's an amazing study to go through the Old Testament and look at the number of individuals who started well who were really strong in the middle and then faded and fell at the end. People that you just wouldn't have expected. Some of the great kings of Israel, wonderful testimonies, served God incredibly. And yet at the end they fell. Solomon, one of the greatest examples probably of all. And there's a question mark as to whether Solomon finally at the end came back. But he's certainly messed up. King Asa, another king. Some great things he did when he came to the throne. Trusting God. Leading the nation to trust God. And yet, he fell. Because he got to the point of putting his confidence in the flesh. You know, and we're only a small congregation this morning. And so in a sense, there's always that reality check that we have to keep going to the Lord. And, but what would happen if the Lord added another 20 or say 50 people to our number? What would happen if we were in a position that we didn't have to pray about the finances because there was always enough there? What would happen if you know, we could get to the stage that we could have some great you know, celebrations and so on and you know, suddenly we lose sight of Jesus because we're chasing after lots of other things we've got to be careful we need to be so aware of the dangers that are there to trip us up so finishing well it's something for us as a fellowship it's something for each of us as individuals it's something that is laid down as a, a challenge for Timothy here and sadly when we get to the second epistle we find that that sum gets changed to all. Where Paul is talking about some have turned aside. He was talking about all that have abandoned and left and so on. And we'll see that transition. But let's leave us on a positive note this morning. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, we read this, For which cause I also suffer these things, he says, Paul says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
That's our security. That's the assurance we have that we know whom we're trusting. We know who we've believed, and it's Jesus Christ. And he will not leave us or fail us or forsake us. For I know whom I've believed and persuaded, absolutely convinced that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's very much the kind of words that Jude uses. That he's able to present me faultless before the throne. That's what Jesus is able to do. You know, even in those opening words, and we're not going to dig into the text much, but I just want to just say that it starts, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior. Well, straight away, we're, we're reminded that we need a Savior. And Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, I think that's by the commandment of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, that's the one who is being referenced. God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And to Timothy, my own son of the faith, face grace, mercy, and peace. You see, grace because we need something that we could never do. Mercy because we have to have that mercy or we can't stand before God. Unless we have his peace, we go mad. You know, right at the beginning, there's that reminder of our own dependence upon God. And here, 2 Timothy 1.12, that reminder that it is all about him. He is the one that is able to keep us. He is the one that is able to hold that which is committed unto him against that day. And then 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, as he's nearing the end of his own time, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. What a statement. I fought the good fight. Finished my course. I've kept the faith. What a wonderful thing to one day be in a place where we can say that individually. If the Lord tarries. Henceforth, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul, at this point now, looking ahead to those rewards, looking ahead to all that is ahead of him in heaven, in eternity. He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. You know, you know, there's all sorts of award ceremonies and so on, but I guess there's nothing that quite beats those honours that come from the Queen. When people get to go to Buckingham Palace and it's the Queen herself that gives these honours to people. You know, any other awards and things, I'm sure they're very special in their own way. But this is the Lord himself. The Lord isn't going to delegate this to an angel. The Lord himself. The creator of all things. The one who holds everything together. The one who stretched out his arms and was nailed to a cross for you and I. It's the Lord himself. You're going to get a personal audience, a moment with the Lord. And the righteous judge will reward you. As Paul says, you shall give me at that day. And, he says, and not to me only, but to all them that have loved his appearing. You see, let's end this where we started it about looking to Jesus. What a great verse it was that 
Kat shared this morning. Yeah, that idea of, of plowing a field and looking to the, the end where you're going so you don't veer off, so you keep your, your furrow nice and straight and true. And how we need to do that. Lord, you shall give me that day, not unto me, but also, but unto uh, all them also that love his appearing. You know, and that needs to be our focus. We need to be getting ready. He's coming back soon to take his bride. We were looking at that at the, on our Bible study on Thursday evening, that we're the bride of Christ. And it's a phenomenal privilege that we get to be the bride of Christ. So that needs to be our focus. Again, let's see. Right into the Hebrews again, we believe it was Paul wrote, looking unto him, the author and the finisher. He started our faith. He's going to conclude it. He's going to hold us. We just need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on him. Okay, next week we're going to look at uh, a little of the background of Paul, his missionary journey is to give us a really good springboard then into this study. Um, so we understand, again, what it was that uh, to brought these two individuals together, uh, the situation, and why Timothy, this young man, had been willing to follow after Paul and go on these journeys with him. And the, again, the journey that had led to Timothy taking up this role as being pastor of this church in Ephesus. So, uh, Lord willing, that's where we go next week. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this book. And Lord, all that you are going to teach us through it. Father, we just pray that we would have open ears and open hearts. Lord, as we've said this morning, let love be the center of everything here. Lord, in this fellowship, in our own lives, may we love each other. Father, that love we pray come from you. Lord, not from any sentiment in our hearts or minds, but Father, from your Holy Spirit, shedding abroad the love of God in our hearts. And Lord, just so much that it overflows to each other, that we care for each other, that we look out for each other. Lord, that we are always aware that we're in ministry for you. And so we just thank you this morning. And Lord, stir us, we pray. And Father, we pray you would add to our number. We pray you would bring in people here that have never heard the gospel before. People that can come and hear this wonderful message of salvation. Lord, we pray you do what you want to do. And Lord, let us follow you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.